Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So I love football. I was born and raised in this area, so I am a Redskins fan. And I grew up in the glory years. And as most of you know, the glory years are long gone. The Redskins have been a disaster for a very long time. Uh, But even though the Redskins constantly break my heart, I still love them. I I can't help but get home on Sunday and want to watch the games, even though it's playoffs, so that doesn't happen. We don't get to watch them anymore. Um, But when I started to get to know my wife, one of the first questions I asked her was, what football team does she root for? And she told me that she was a Packers fan, which I was thankful to this day that she's not a Cowboys fan, because that would have been a deal breaker. My wife's pretty amazing, but I couldn't make that happen. And so with Ray being a Packers fan, I've watched a ton of Packers games over the last eight years. And to be honest, they're, they're an exciting team to watch. I like watching them. They're a good team. They constantly win. Uh, they make the playoffs a ton. They even won a Super Bowl uh, when we were married. And so it's fun. So, but even though I'm a Redskins fan, I find myself rooting for the Packers when they're not playing each other. In 2015, the Packers had an insane season. They actually made the playoffs beat the Redskins. We don't talk about that day in our house. Uh, in fact, my wife that day was like, I was rooting for the Redskins because they don't win these types of games. And I was like, cool, thanks. Like, that's my, that's my life. Like, I know. So, but in order for the Packers to make the playoffs that year, they had to win a few games in just remarkable fashion, including a game that is now called the Miracle at Motown. And so with six seconds left, the Packers were down by three with 76 yards to go. And if you don't know much about football, it's not going to happen. Like, they're not going to score. It's too late. And so everyone in the stadium already thought the Packers had lost. Like, even watching the game, a lot of people had turned it off. Like, people weren't really interested to see the Packers uh, lose this game. And so what they did was they had one more play, and so Aaron Rodgers kind of scrambles around. And as he gets ready to throw the ball, somebody actually grabs his face mask, which in football is a 15-yard penalty. And so at that point, the game's over, the time's out, but they get one more play, untimed, so it's the whole 60 minutes are gone, they get one more chance to score. And this time, they were only 61 yards away from the end zone. And so they were given one more play, and all they could do was throw a Hail Mary. Now, if you grew up Catholic, when you think of Hail Mary, you probably think of prayer. But for a lot of us, we think of a Hail Mary pass. It's a desperation play at the end of a game where you literally throw it as far as you can, and you pray, dear God, Please let someone catch this ball. So at the end of this game, all the Packers could do was throw a Hail Mary and pray that it was caught. Check out this play. But can the receivers get far enough down the field? Rodgers in trouble. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Richard Rodgers with a walk-off touchdown, a game-ender for the Packers. I remember watching that game, and they're seriously acting like they just won the Super Bowl, right? Like, this is the game in the middle of the season, and now it's a remarkable play, but you see Aaron Rodgers running down the field. One of the the shots to, like, this guy in the end zone, he's, like, pointing at his team. His last name is Backman. He doesn't play. Like, he's, not, he's, like, on the team, but he's on the bench the whole time. Like, he's not even a special teams guy, but he's, like, on the field. And, of course, like, you got that one fan with his hand over his head. It looked like they had lost everything. And it's funny because the announcer goes nuts, the team goes nuts because of this Hail Mary. But it's just a regular season game. 
Like, it wasn't even the playoffs. It was a game towards the end of the season. They kind of needed to win it. They probably would have made the playoffs anyways. But they're reacting that way because a Hail Mary is a long shot, and it rarely works. In fact, after the game, they interviewed the coach of the Packers, Coach McCarthy, and while he was excited that they won the game, he said that it never should have gotten to that point. You could also hear it in his voice that he was a little bit disappointed that they won the game that way because he knew that it was a fluke, that it wasn't repeatable, that they couldn't go out and do it again the next week, that as a team they had to be better in the first 60 minutes of the game so they didn't have to rely on a miracle 61-yard touchdown to win. Now realize a lot of us never played football. We've never been quarterback that threw a Hail Mary or the receiver who caught it, which I think is more impressive. Uh, In fact, I'm sure a lot of people here have never seen a Hail Mary before, so that might have been your first one. That was a good one. Um, So while we don't have a lot of experience throwing a Hail Mary in football, we do have a lot of experience throwing a Hail Mary when it comes to our faith. I'm talking about the times in our lives when we know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. The times in our lives when we thought we would be further down the field. We find ourselves with our backs against the wall. We find ourselves in a situation that isn't going well, and so we throw a Hail Mary to God. And what we're saying is, God, please help me get out of this situation. I can't do anything else but throw the ball as far as I can and close my eyes and hope someone on the other end receives it. And you're praying, God, please be on the receiving end. And the reason why we do this is because we've bought into the myth of balance. Today we're continuing our series called Integration. And our goal as we work through the next few weeks is to debunk the myth of balance and pursue a John 10.10 life. Jesus says you can have life and life to the fullest, and that's the life that we want. We've been taught throughout our life that there are varying segments of life, and we talked about this a little bit last week. There's a family segment, and there's a job segment, and there's a social life segment. And we've been told that we have to balance all of these things to have the best life possible. But as we learned last week, balance can't be the goal because we can't ever achieve perfect balance. Something will always get less attention if balance is what we are aiming for. Our family will take a backseat to work. Our spiritual life gets less priority because of our social life. And we end up living a life out of balance. Balance teaches us to view faith as another segment of our life. And when things are going well, we don't have to pay attention to it. But when things aren't going well, and we realize that we aren't as far down the field as we thought we would be, when we realize that our marriage isn't as strong as we hoped it would be, that our kids aren't making decisions that we thought they would, we throw a spiritual Hail Mary to God in hopes that he gets us out of the circumstance. And when we do that, what often happens is that we decide to start going to church all of a sudden. We start reading our Bible, we start praying, Because we realize that there's a need in our life, and there's a problem in our life that we can't solve on our own, and that we need God to intervene. But then we want immediate results. We start throwing a spiritual Hail Mary and don't see something right away. We tend to blame God. Maybe we look at our own selves, but if we're really being honest, when we're in that situation, when our back's against the wall, and we're praying to God, God, please catch this ball, please get me out of this, and it doesn't happen right away, we think it's God's fault. We think it's God's fault that we're not seeing growth or change. Then when our Hail Mary falls short, we give up. A few years ago, I was working in a church in Annapolis, and we were co-hosting a golf tournament to raise money for adoption. And so our goal was to put two teams together uh, and enter them to to compete against 18 other organizations, all for the benefit of raising money to help a few families that are in our church uh, go through the adoption process. 
And so for weeks, we sat up on stage. We talked about, hey, we're going to do this golf tournament. We would love to see you there. If you're interested, come play. And eventually, we got eight. So we had our two teams of four. And so the day came where we went to the golf course, and when we showed up, there was a ninth guy there. He was kind of hanging out, and he was like, hey, I'm with, I'm with that church. And we're like, we don't, we don't know who that guy is. But he'd been there for a few weeks. He heard us talking about it. He loved golf, so he decided to show up. And so being a ninth guy, we're like, well, me personally, I'm like, I'm terrible at golf, so I'm not going to play. Like, I'm just here to hang out. So you can take my spot. Let's go right around the golf, the golf cart together. And so he joined us. And after playing through the first few holes, I began to ask him some questions. Where was he from? Why was he in Annapolis? How did he end up at the church? And he was incredibly honest. He told me that his wife was making him go to church in hopes of fixing their marriage, that he had broken her trust in the past. They were currently struggling to get pregnant. And all in all, she felt like their marriage was trending towards divorce. That's actually why they moved to Maryland to start over. They got a counselor. They began to see specialists. But nothing changed. So she begged him to go to church. For them, this was their spiritual Hail Mary. And so for the rest of the day, we talked about God and marriage and golf, everything. And that next Sunday, it was really cool when I got to see him at church again. And then for the next month, I saw him every week. But after two months of being there every single week, he disappeared. I figured it was the summer, so maybe he was out of town. But when they didn't come back the next week or the following week, I decided to reach out and try to figure out what was going on. Like, I knew they had a lot going on in their life. I knew life wasn't easy for them. When I asked him, he told me that his marriage wasn't better, that they still weren't pregnant, and so he was done giving church a chance. And so I pushed back a little bit. I told him that I didn't really think that eight weeks was enough to really give it a fair chance, that they really didn't connect with people, that they really needed to find a community, because we were in a church, we were doing a golf tournament for adoption. There were people there that were struggling to get pregnant, and I kept telling him, they're all around you right now, but you've got to find people. You've got to connect. I challenged them to actually invest, to serve alongside people, to get to know people, because there are people in that church that showed up every Sunday that had a smile on their face, but deep down inside they were broken. But because he didn't see enough in eight weeks, he was done. The spiritual Hail Mary wasn't caught, and so he walked away. And the problem with approaching faith as a segment of our lives, the problem with approaching faith as something that we need to balance, is that we start thinking that we want things from God in real time. Right? We start thinking that we want things from God right now, so I'm going to show up, answer me. We start wanting immediate results from a God who truly longs for long-term life change. And Jesus says it in John 10.10. He wants us to experience life to the fullest, not just one moment when things are tough. So balance teaches us that faith is a segment of our lives, but today we're talking about integration, and that's what we're talking about through this series as we start this year. And it's not just about having faith be a part of our lives, but having faith be our life. Balance teaches us to pour into our faith when we have a problem in hopes that a Hail Mary will eventually work. But integration teaches us to pursue faith daily so that we're strong when the problem arises. Today, we're going to learn about integration through Daniel, and we're going to specifically be talking about consistency. And Daniel is a man of consistency. Daniel's consistency was key to his faith. 
So here's some background on Daniel and kind of the story that we're going to pick up in a few seconds. Daniel was a young, smart Jewish guy. And during the time, he was an advisor to a king named Darius. Darius was king. He oversaw uh, all of Babylon, which in that time, the Jewish people were captured, captured. So it was a lot of people, and it was incredibly aggressive. And Darius had three administrators underneath him, and each one of those administrators kind of oversaw 120 governors in this land. These administrators were incredibly powerful people, and Daniel was one of those administrators. And so Daniel had a lot of authority. But the problem with Daniel is that Daniel was Jewish, and he was leading in a Babylonian empire. And so all the people underneath Daniel, the governors, including the two advisors and the administrators that were next to him, did not like Daniel because he was a Jewish guy leading Babylonian people. The Jewish people were in captivity of Babylonians, and so what they thought with Daniel was that he should either be a slave or a prisoner. There's no way that he should have the authority to change and, and, and influence this nation. And so the other two advisors that worked alongside him and the many governors wanted to get him out of this role. And that's where we pick up the story, Daniel 6, starting in verse 9. This is what it says. At this, the administrators and satraps, which is another word for governors, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Wouldn't that be great, by the way? <laughs> like, if we had a rule, like, if we had people who actually governed and led people, that that's their character. I, like, Daniel is just incredible because of that. Let's continue. Verse 5. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human, or sorry, human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. It's easy to hear that and think that King Darius is kind of an egomaniacal psychopath, and he kind of is. During that time, kings were in the business of power and, domin and domination. That was their goal, was to take over as many people, control as many people as possible. So when two of his three most trusted advisors go to him and say, hey, do you know what would be a really good idea? Everyone should worship you and you only for 30 days. You should try that. Of course King Darius is going to say yes. He probably spent the same amount of time thinking about it as you do when you accept the terms of service on your Apple products. You're like, I don't care. Yes, yes, you can have my children. You can have my money. I don't care. I just want to use my iPhone. We're good. And that's King Darius. He's like, I don't care. I don't care what the repercussions are. I want, I want total domination. So he signed it. Story continues in Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking for God's help. We'll finish the story later, but let's pause here for a second. In verse 5, when the advisors are plotting against him, they're trying to get Daniel out of this role. They're trying to remove him from authority. How did the officials decide to go after Daniel? They knew they couldn't corrupt him or even try to tempt him with evil activity. And this is what it says. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They knew that if they were going to go 
going to get after Daniel and going to get him out of office, that the one thing that they had to do was go after his God. The one thing they had to stop him from doing was something that he did every single day, which was spend time with God. And what this shows us is that Daniel was so consistent in his faith and his relationship with God that even the Babylonian advisors who didn't know anything about Judaism knew that his faith was the one area that he would never waver in. And for me, I read this, and I see this example of Daniel, and I think, man, how strong is someone's faith that that every single day, three times a day, they are praying to God, even in the face of adversity, even knowing that this decree had been written? And so what Daniel teaches us is that your consistency reveals your priority. I'm going to say that again. Your consistency reveals your priority. And I know that might seem backwards, but, but listen to this. Priorities are established by what we do consistently, right? Like the things that are, that are priorities to us are the things that we do all the time. And what we do consistently indicates what we care about. The things that we do on a regular beat, a regular rhythm, things that we do every single day are the things that we care about. The things that we don't miss no matter how cold it is outside or how busy we are or if we're out of town or in town, those things are our priorities. And your consistency reveals your priorities. Think about people that go to the gym every single day when it's hot or when it's cold, whether it's a New Year's resolution or November. People that go every single day, even when traffic, ad, even when traffic in Frederick adds an hour to their commute, they still go. You would say their fitness and their health is a priority. Or someone who budgets every month, they constantly keep track of what they're spending. And because of that, towards the end of the month, they might not go out to grab drinks or go out to grab lunch because they don't want to go over budget. You would say there's someone whose financial situation is a priority. Or someone who consistently comes to and engages in their local church. They show up for worship, but they also serve and are in community on a regular basis. You would say that their faith is a priority. But if somebody said their kids were a priority but aren't constantly home for dinner or they spend more time on their phones than they do engaging with their own children, you wouldn't say their kids were a priority. So think about your own life. No, actually think about your own life. In fact, I would encourage you, grab your phone, take out the program. There's a note spot on the back, and I want you to make a list of things that you've done consistently over the last few months because those things are your priorities. And specifically looking at the last few months, when you think about it, the last few months have been tough. You've got holidays and nasty weather and traveling and family in town. It's a crazy time of year. And that's the time when you try to figure out, okay, what did I do consistently over those last two months? And if you wrote those down, what would it say about your priorities? Whether you want them to be your priorities or not, the things that you did, even when you were out of town or off work or spending time with family or in the cold and snow, those things are your priorities. Over the last two months, if the most consistent thing that you did was watch Netflix or work or play video games, those are your priorities. Because your consistency shows that those are the most important things in your life. That whether your day is easy or your day is hard, those are the things you go to first. We see from Daniel that his priorities were publicly recognized because of his consistency. The officials knew that the way to hurt Daniel was to attack his faith. But because it was unwavered and because it was consistent, he still trusted God. Daniel was a Jewish man in Babylonian captivity. Like, he knew he should have been a slave. He knew he should have been a prisoner. He knew when the decree was written that it meant he was going to be in the lion's den. And it didn't say a lion's den. It said the lion's den. Like, this, it's implied that, like, this was a thing that people knew about. And most likely he experienced in some way, right or wrong. Like, he knew what happened when people were thrown in there. And even when this was written, he still trusted 
He still prayed to God multiple times a day. So a good question to wrestle with right now is what am I doing consistently that I don't want to be a priority? We're going to get real for a second. You say your marriage is a priority, but you spend more time consistently sitting next to each other watching Netflix than you do taking steps to work on your marriage. You say your friendships are a priority, but you spend more time engaging your public audience on social media than you actually spend time sitting down and having real conversations about, with real grace and real truth with real people. You say that your faith is a priority, but based on your consistency, only showing up once a month because of the rain or cold or brunch. The question is, is that a priority? National statistics actually show that Christians go to church once a month. Christians go to church once a month. These are people who say that Jesus is the leader of their life. There's people who say that God is the most important aspect of their life and infiltrates everything else. And these people go to church and engage in a local church once a month. And what's crazy is that number is actually quickly trending towards once every six weeks. And all I'm saying is that I don't know anyone who can say that something is a priority if they only do it once a month. If you go to the gym once a month, in no way is that a priority. No one would be proud of that. If you, if you spend intentional time with your spouse just once a month, they are not a priority. And whether you acknowledge it or not, you are a consistent person. And there are consistencies in your life. You just have to figure out what they are. And to be honest, you might not like what those consistencies are. You might not like what those, priority, what those priorities are. But they show you what's consistent. They show you what matters most to you in your day and your rhythm. And a lot of people struggle with consistency. And it's not just because we don't have consistency in the right things, but because we have consistency in the wrong things. And the one thing in your life that you have consistency in is a specific sin. There's an area in your life that you're trying to get out of and break free from, and you try and introduce new good consistencies that honor God, but you know that one thing that you are good at doing over and over again is sin. Some of you men, your marriage is bad, not just because you don't consistently pray with your wife, but because you consistently lay in bed next to your wife that wants to be desired sexually, but you roll over and scroll through Instagram looking at models who are fake. Some of you have a bad situation with your kids, not just because you're not teaching them to consistently put God as a priority, but you're consistently spending more time with your friends at happy hour than you are with your kids at a play place. And some of you women, you experience no peace, and you're crippled by comparison. And it's not because you don't have a boyfriend or a husband who's consistently telling you how wonderful you are. It's because you consistently compare yourself to others so that no matter what words he says to you, you don't even love yourself. And so what I'm saying today is not only do we need to look at the consistencies we need to begin today, but the consistencies that we need to cut from our life altogether. Because our consistencies reveal our priorities. Let's see how the story of Daniel finishes. In Daniel 6, 16 through 23, this is what it says. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue, rescue you. Which, like, every time I read that, I'm like, man, what a jerk. <laughs> like, you know that sarcasm. 
And it continues, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with a signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This miracle of Daniel is the single greatest story that he's known for. In fact, many of you, when I mention Daniel, the first thing you think about is the lion's den. This is a story that was such a pivotal moment in his life. This was his biggest moment. More than anything else he did, he wrote the book of Daniel. More than writing the book of Daniel is the story that he wrote inside of the book of Daniel. But look at where this miracle begins. Daniel didn't need to start praying because the law got passed. He didn't need to start praying because he was going to get thrown into the lion's den, even though he knew that was going to happen. He just continued doing what he had always done. Daniel's miracle began in his consistency. And he experiences a miracle that has inspired people for generations. Daniel's story has increased faith and changed lives forever. His story is evidence of God's love and provision, and his miracle started in consistency. When Daniel had learned of the decree, he did what he always did. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He prayed. And it was this practice that led to his capture and being thrown into the lion's den. And he saw it coming. He wasn't oblivious to it. He wasn't naive. He knew it was going to happen. But he continued. He went home anyways and continued to pray because his consistency revealed his priority. Daniel's miracle didn't come from a spiritual Hail Mary. It came from what we perceive as a boring, mundane, not sexy daily habit of spending time with God and praying to him. It came through consistency. And I know some of you are in a place where you want to throw a spiritual Hail Mary. You don't know what to do. You feel up against the wall. And that might be honestly why you're here. I don't say all this to discourage you. I say all this because we want you to come back. We want you to know that just one Sunday won't change everything. But consistency will, and it can. And if we're being honest, we have all had this moment in our life. We all have that time in our life where we're like standing before God and we're like, God, do something. Like I'm praying more than I've ever prayed before in my life. God, do something right now. I need something. I need an answer. I need a direction. God, make it plain. Give me a billboard, an email. Like we, we constantly pray. Like God, please just call me on the phone. Like I need to know what's going on. And if we're being honest, we want to hear one piece of wisdom or one story that will fix everything right now. But the wisdom today is that small decisions over long periods of time produce big results. That faith starts with consistency. And I can't tell you what you need to start doing. And I can't even tell you what you need to stop doing. That's something that you need to wrestle with on your own. But I can tell you what's helped out me and and one of my friends. 
So I have an app on my phone that's called Echo, and it's a prayer app. Uh, I think it's the cheesiest name for a prayer app ever. Uh, but a friend of mine a few years ago was like, hey, you should download this because this has really helped my spiritual life. And I thought, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And so what I did is I plugged in 20 prayers. There are 20 things that I pray for constantly. And every day at 9, noon, 3, 6, and 9, it sends me a prayer request. I have the opportunity to pause and pray for those things. It's a constant reminder of things in my life that I need to be praying for. Some are, some are big. Some of it's my family or my child. Some of it's this church. And some things are a little bit more specific. But every single day, multiple times a day, I'm reminded that I need to pray. Sometimes I have more time, right? Sometimes I get it, and I'm at home, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a few moments, I'm going to pray for this. Sometimes I'm driving in the car, and I'm like, I'm going to pray while I drive. I'm going to keep my eyes open, but I'm going to pray while I drive. <laughs> but I found that over time, I've done this for almost, uh, almost two years. I found that over time that spending time praying every single day, even if it's for a little bit, has put me in a mindset that when I'm in crisis or seeking guidance or simply needing peace in my own life, I just add those prayers to the ones I'm already saying. I have a friend who, the first thing he does when he wakes up every single day is he listens to worship music. So before he looks at a phone, like that, that <laughs> is very challenging. But before he ever picks up a phone, goes on social media, checks Facebook, sees what somebody said last night, before he checks on any of those things, the first thing that he does is he listens to worship music. He actually went out and bought an Amazon Alexa, and he charges his phone on the other side of the room. He sets his alarm through the Alexa, and when it starts, every single morning, he says, Alexa, play my worship playlist. And every single day, that's how he starts it. And for a few years, it's changed how he approaches his day. Because the first thing he's putting in isn't junk. The first thing he's putting in isn't garbage from social media. It's not garbage from the news. It's something that's supposed to move us closer to God. What's really cool is he started this habit a few years ago, uh, but two months ago, he had a child. And so every single day, he wakes up, and the first thing his daughter hears is worship. And I've been able to see him become a better husband and a better dad and a better leader just through that one consistent thing that he does every day. So what consistency do you need to add to your life What's the one thing? What's the one thing that you want to start today? It's not one of those things where you need to go home and go, okay, here's the 30 things I want to do. Let's do 30 things. Let's start with one, right? Let's start with one thing that you can succeed in this week. What's the one consistency that you need to add? For some of you, it's praying every day. Maybe when you wake up or when you go to bed, if you have kids, it's with your kids before they go to bed. For some of you, it might be listening to worship or even listening to the Bible in your car. There's an app called YouVersion. It will read the Bible to you. Like, it's, it couldn't get easier, people. Like, we live in a world where getting this stuff could not be simpler. But for some of you, maybe it's finding that playlist or, or downloading that app. And when you're in your car and when you're in your commute, you listen. That'll most likely make you a better driver as well because you're not going to rage as much. It'd be kind of, it'd be interesting to see if you still rage while listening to worship music. For some of you, and this is something that we've talked about for the last few weeks, we're going to talk about it for a few more weeks, it's joining one of our collectives. Collectives are small groups that meet every single week. We get together, we eat dinner, and we have discussion, and we actually talk about what we talk about here. And the reason why we do that is because I never want anybody to show up at collective and think, that guy told me to do this, I'm going to go do this. We want you to read your Bible. We want you to be in community. We want you to ask questions. We want you to be surrounded with other people who know what you're going through and have the same questions or have been there before, and that's what our collectives are. And for some of you, it's joining that and being a part of a community and being a part of a group of people that can help you walk through the junk that's in your life so when the, it gets bad, you don't have to throw a Hail Mary because you have people around you that are there to help you and comfort you and help pick you up when you fall down. 
some of you, you need to spend time each week reading your Bible. Just pick it up. Give it a shot. A really good place to start is John. I know a lot of times we pick it up and we're like, do we start in Genesis? Do I read this whole thing through? Don't start in Genesis. <laughs> You'll get halfway through and you're like, I don't know what's going on with the world, but start with John. It's all about Jesus' life, and it's incredibly easy to read. In fact, John kind of struggled with the spiritual side of Jesus. Like, it was something that he wasn't, like, totally keen on. And so when he writes the book of John, there are spiritual aspects of it, but there's more human aspects when it comes to Jesus. It's a really easy book to read. So for some of you, it's just picking it up and giving it a shot. Read one verse. You don't have to read the whole thing. This isn't something where you go home and you're like, I'm going to read 50 pages. Read one verse every single day and see what happens. For some of you, consistency isn't a part of your life because Jesus really isn't a part of your life. And so for some of you, in order for consistency to begin, you need to make a decision. You actually need to take the time to say, listen, I've been trying to live my life my own way. I've been my own consistency. I've been kind of dictating what's right and what's wrong. Maybe it's time to try something else, and maybe it's time to give Jesus a shot. You've been throwing spiritual Hail Marys your whole entire life. You'll show up in church for a few months and disappear for a while when things get better. Then you'll come back when things are hard again, and then you'll, you'll, you'll leave again. And so for some of you, maybe the consistency is just coming back. Giving this community a chance, getting to know these people. And for some of you, it's just making that initial decision to be baptized, to say, okay, Jesus, like, I'm going to let you lead my life now, and I'm going to give it a shot. Instead of allowing us to dictate consistency, maybe it's time for God to do that. And here's the thing. We're not just a church that says, maybe you should do all these things. Okay, have a good week. Like, we want to help you with these things. Like, if you were somebody, you're like, okay, I want to connect. I want to meet people. I want to get to know people. I want to serve. I want to get baptized. Any of those things. That's the reason why we have the connection card. That's the reason why we ask people to fill it out. It's because you have the opportunity to say, yep, I want more information on that, and I will follow up with you. It's not one of those things that we want you to do just because it feels good and we can read connection cards. We want to help you take that step that you need to be more consistent, to put Jesus further into the center of your life. In fact, if you're interested in any of these things, you want to join a collective or you want to serve or, or even have questions about where to read in the Bible or where to start, come find me in the lobby. Go talk to our connections team. We have a team that's dedicated to helping you figure out what your next step should be. We haven't went out. We bought iPads. So if you want to join a collective, you can type your email address in and you join them just like that because we wanted to make this as easy as possible for you to take that step. But ultimately, as a church and as a community, we want to help you figure out what consistency looks like in your own life. So that, like Daniel, our faith can consistently be integrated to everything that we do. Because the same God who saved Daniel from certain death is the same God who is with you through what you're going through. A lot of us would say that we're in a pit of our own, and it's dark, and we feel alone. But the same God who was with Daniel that night is the same God that's with you right now in the pit that you're in. Through the breakup, through the infertility, through the money fights, through the adultery, through the abuse, through the loneliness. The same God who ensured that Daniel came out without a single scratch on him is the same God who sent his own son to live a perfect life to die on a cross for our sins. This is the same God who wants to give us life to the fullest. This is the same God who wants to give us redemption, to, to be bought back, to be purchased, and start over again. This is the same God that was with Daniel when he was in the lion's den. Is the same God who is with you. He doesn't leave you in the middle, when you're in the middle of your problems. Because God is consistent. He's consistently there. The reason why you don't have to throw a Hail Mary is because he knows. He feels it. He experiences it with you. Because you 
are his priority. Psalm 105 says our God is good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. And you have the opportunity to have faith in the same God. But it's got to start with consistency. It's got to start with the small things every single day. God doesn't promise you that you won't end up in a pit. It's one of the crappiest things about, about church and Christianity in general. Like you just wish you followed God and everything was perfect. But the reality is God doesn't promise you that there won't be a pit in your life at some point. God doesn't promise that she will ever stop taking her meds. God doesn't promise that you're going to understand why that person hurt you. God doesn't promise that your life won't be tough. But he does promise you that you won't be alone. He does promise you that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And so if you're hurting, consistency and a consistent faith that's integrated into our life is what enables us to cling to our unchanging God who is relentless in his pursuit of us. Integration, not balance. Consistency, not balance, enables us to have the peace that Daniel had. That even when we're facing the lion's den, that we have hope and purpose and love that pulls us through the pits in our life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, that you won't leave us or you won't forsake us. God, thank you that we see that through Daniel. God, that even that moment that you were with him. God, I pray that we feel that and we experience that. God, I know that so many of us are going through um, what we would say is probably the worst time of our life, times that we wouldn't wish on other people. But God, help us to know that you're there. And help us to know that you're consistently a part of our life every single day, even through the ups and the downs, even when we come to you and even when we turn away from you, that God, you're there. God, help us take a step today towards consistency. God, I pray that each one of us makes a decision to walk out and be a little bit more consistent in something that moves us closer to you. God, and just let you work and let us see what happens. God, because we know how much you love us and how much you care for us and how much you want us to be in your life. God, help us do that. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.